0: The Ten Commandments, are they merely a list of do's and don'ts that teach us how to keep God happy? Or can they teach us something greater about who God is and His design for humanity? These are issues we explore today on the Central Baptist Podcast. The scripture reading is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to verse 11. Please turn to Exodus chapter 20 in your Bible or follow along on the sermon notes handout or the words on the screen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to verse 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: I think if we sat down and have coffee and were kind of honest with each other for a few minutes, most of us would say and confess that we live with some kind of stress somewhere in our lives. Between work and family, COVID and the rest of life, um, some of you may be living with very little or no what they call margin. No space. And I tell you this morning, I really believe that stress is a robber and a rapist. It steals our freedom and our joy from our lives. And so in this Ten Commandments we're working through um, this fall, I really believe that we do not find a bunch of outdated, irrelevant rules we actually find some of the best wisdom and thoughtful truth for God for our daily lives. But once again, this fourth commandment on Sabbath, uh, to set a day holy to God, seems so out of place, out of place in our society. Because today, many people work shift work. Stores are open seven days a week. Some 24 hours a day. We have turned holy days into holidays. Weekends and holidays are, are often busier for folks than, than other days of the week. A lot of the sports activities that our children and grandchildren may get involved in often happen on Sundays. And what is to be understood at one time as a, a time for personal recreation has really become recreation. And I think some people work harder at recreation than they do at work. So when, when people get too busy, the usual answer, the usual remedy, as we say to them, I mean, you know, you need balance in your lives. And this morning, I hope in about 30 minutes or so to try to teach and convince you that this commandment about Sabbath is far, far beyond Balance it is about a different way to live and about a different way to think it is ordering our lives in a radical new way that will call for boldness in the face of our culture it's a new order in the face of chaos but when religion got hold of this commandment it made it worse than ever and so Jesus faced this problem from the religious establishment of the day just listen as I read a a short section out of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, so remember what day it is, Jesus was walking through the grain fields, and as the disciples walked along, they began simply to pick some of the the heads and ears of grain. And the Pharisees, that's kind of like the religious police of the day, the Taliban. Look what they're doing. what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, that means people, not man for the Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath.'" Jesus was saying the central idea of the Sabbath was to help people not put them into bondage There's a New Testament writer and commentator of a previous generation his name is William Barclay He wrote a series called The Daily Bible Study William Barclay used to teach New Testament at the University of Glasgow And I used sometimes to go sneak into the back of his lecture hall and listen to some of his talks and so on. I mentioned that to somebody one day and they said, are you that old? (laughs) Yes, I am. William Barclay in his commentaries gives you some great background to things and great studies on Greek words. He helps us understand some of the ways in which these Sabbath regulations were interpreted and applied in Jewish life, what you could do and what you could not do. And again, they are so much like the morality police that we hear about almost every day in the news these days. So, for example, the, the Sabbath regulations agreed that it was permissible to help a woman in childbirth on the Sabbath. Wasn't that thoughtful of men to do that? I don't know what the alternatives are, but anyway. But here were some of how they they interpreted some of the laws. For example, if a wall fell on someone, you could remove just enough bricks to see if they were dead or alive. If you were dead, you left them there to be buried the next day. If they were alive... You could help them only enough so they didn't get worse. Take only enough bricks away so they don't get worse. But you could not help them get better. Because you see, that would be work. You could bandage a a cut finger with a plain bandage, but you couldn't put ointment on the bandage. That would make it better. That would be work. Some years ago, Harry and I um, were really privileged to be in Jerusalem for a week. We visited what they call the Western Wall. We call it the Wailing Wall. You may see that on television from time As where people go there and they, uh, they go to pray. They put their hands on the wall. And um, I never could understand why they, they kept going back and forward. So I asked a Jewish friend one day. I said, why do they do that? And he looked at me and he said, because nothing can stand still before the presence of a holy God. I never knew that before. But you would go and see people, they would have little pieces of paper and they would insert them in the cracks of the walls. And so if you went on Shabbat, which is Sabbath, you could not write prayers and put them in the wall. That was work. You had to bring prayers already written. That's not work. And recently in the news from Iran, um, we would see how the morality police have sought to control their culture and especially women through severe religious laws. You see, nothing binds people like religion. We take the best of God's truth and somehow we can turn it to the worst ends. So how are we to understand this commandment of God to the society and the culture in which we live Today. There are three main passages in the Old Testament which link this command about the Sabbath, each to a different aspect of God's work and activity. Each connects the Sabbath to the work of God. First of all, we learn that God calls us to find our identity in worship rather than in work. We find our identity in worship of God rather than in our work. God is the creator. He worked, and then he rested. And so in Genesis 2, repeating what we read in Exodus 20, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work he was created that he had done. So Genesis teaches us God, God worked in creation, and then he rested. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest. But it's not just the idea of kind of snoozing on the Chesterfield, having a nap, or getting involved in another busy activity. The rest of Sabbath is not the rest of doing nothing. Rather, it's the rest that comes from a particular kind of consciousness. And in that consciousness and in that rest, we we'll remember who God is... And what God has created. And in order to do that, we have to stop what we're doing. So we stop our work so that we can enjoy God's finished work and be refreshed. You think thinking, I did it again this morning to someone in church. And I apologize for that. When we meet someone for the first time, what's almost the first thing we ask them? Tell me what you do. I think that's because we do not know how to ask, tell me who you are. Adam was created to walk with God, to enjoy God's company. Adam steps onto a finished world. But when he sinned, he was turned out to the garden and a new rival God came to meet him and meet his needs. This new God was called work. The result is that many people in our culture find their significance in the past that affected mostly men but can I say to you it now affects a growing number of women their sense of value their significance comes largely from their work when we go to job I uh, go to our job we have we have to we go to conquer we go to control and our jobs we have two things we have a title and we have a task And so we become easily tempted to think that what I do defines who I am. And this has seductively crept into our Christian thinking so that we usually define the will of God in our lives as a certain job. I can tell you the number of times I've been invited to young people's meetings and all those, and they always want to ask, can you talk about what is the will of God for my life? And they're thinking automatically in terms of jobs should I take this job, or that job should I marry this person or that one actually I teach them that the will of God is really our character it says to us I think in Thessalonians that this is the will of God for your life your sanctification, that means you live and you walk with a sense of holiness before God it is not finding a job at some divine employment center And the essential truth of Sabbath rest reminds me that my significance, my identity, is to be found before God in worship rather than in society in my work. And that, folks, that is a different place to stand. And if we would grasp that, that would be revolutionary. This means that we bring our significance to our work rather than trying to find significance in our work. I won't bore you with the messy details of my past life. But can I tell you this morning, very honestly, that's exactly where I was when I was 40. All of my significance came from my job as a pastor. I had really lost the meaning of my own identity from what it means to be a man in Christ. And one evening in hospital... I vaguely heard Harriet being told by the surgeon that I probably would not make it through the night. Well, I am glad I made it through the night. But in the weeks and months after that, I had to find out who I was again, a man made in the image of God. So when we come to worship... We leave our tasks and our titles at the door, and we enter into God's finished work of creation. You see, our worship is where we enjoy God's work, and we lay the stress of our always unfinished work and tasks. We lay them aside for a while. Sometimes people say to us, "You know, Tom, Satan never takes a day off." I figured out the answer to that. Who says we're following him? We're not. We're following a God who rested. And we need to understand what that rest is. And find our significance and our identity. The meaning of who we are in him. Not in our jobs. Second passage. God gives us a covenant. And the Sabbath, Shabbat, is part of that covenant sign of the people of God. And so the second idea is that God calls us to be a witness to his presence in the world. comes from Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The heart of God's relationship with Israel is called a covenant. Covenant's a word for agreement. It's his agreement with his people. And covenant is a word and a concept and idea that flows through entire scriptures, Old and New Testament. A covenant is a spiritual agreement that God has with his people. We don't negotiate the terms of the covenant, we simply accept it. We'll come in a few minutes to this symbol of bread and wine, which Jesus calls a new covenant. And the reality of the covenant is made visible and tangible in a number of ways. And one of those ways was in keeping the Sabbath. One of the things that would set Israel apart was that they would stop doing what they were doing. Put down their tools and their tasks. And as God's people, they would come together in worship. Their corporate gathering was the sign of the presence of God among them and also in the world. When they gathered together, God came and dwelled with his people. And the essential idea was that Israel was commanded to gather together, and that that gathering was a sign of God's covenant relationship. Now we can move this picture across many years, centuries, to a different culture, but the same essential truth is there. One of the signs of the presence of God is his church, a church that gathers together to worship. And it stands as a sign of the presence of God in the world. Have you ever thought that when we gather together in this building of the heart of Victoria, Sunday by Sunday, we are a sign of the presence of God in the city. That's what we are. We are a sign of the presence of God in the city. And there's a lot of stuff, frankly, in our week, that, in our society, that tears us apart, that pulls us down. But when we come together on a Sunday together, we gather to recreate. We gather as it were to kind of put ourselves back together again under the hand of the living God and his spirit. And we're encouraged in God's word not to give up our meeting together. And that's the reason that we're a sign of God's presence in the world. So in the rhythm of each week, we need to come together as the people of God. We come together to worship, to pray, to study, to encourage one another. To remind each other of the truth. That God is still at work in our world. Sometimes with all that's going on maybe in our city and maybe around the world these days, we wonder, you know, is God still working this? When we come together to worship, that's what we do. We remind each other that God is still here. A a song we've been learning the last few weeks, Ancient of Days. That the kingdom of God is the one kingdom that will stand over all of this. So worship's a time to come together to enjoy God. I really believe the church should be serious, but it shouldn't be somber. We're serious about what we do, but we can laugh together, we can encourage one another, because we're together as the people of God. And the impact of these gatherings is not just realized on a one Sunday. It's the cumulative effect of meeting together week by week, song by song, message by message, truth by truth. All of this reminds us that God is is here. God is still alive. In my mind, I think the heroes each week in our church have got to be the young families who come with babies and small children. Sunday by Sunday, because frankly, some weeks, some Sunday mornings, you know what? I think it would be easier to stay home. You know, kids get sick and kids throw up and do all kinds of stuff just when you're ready to leave for church. And some weeks they must ask themselves, is this worth it? Is this worth it to get dressed and get ready and get in the car and come here and all that stuff? Can I say to you this morning, if you're in this group, yes, it is. It is worth it. And thank you for doing that Sunday by Sunday. You are molding and shaping your family for now and for all of the years to come. Thank you. So the days in the week to work hard. That's Okay. And then there's a time to lay work aside and come to worship. To give thanks to God. To sing. To praise. To clap our hands. To pray. To be his people. And to celebrate his presence. And God is not only in us individually. God is with us corporately. And when we do that, we are being a sign of the presence of God in the world. In our city. We're saying when we gather together. God comes and dwells in the midst of his people. And this is a covenant activity. That we're involved in. So Sunday by Sunday. The church gathered for worship. Is a sign of God's presence among us. And also in the world. And that is something that we should not miss. Again. Shabbat is attached to a truth. God calls us to a lifestyle that is marked by freedom rather than slavery. Deuteronomy chapter 5 picks up this truth for us. Six days you will labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, nor your... So that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. And here's the reason. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Because remember you were slaves once. But now you're free. It is saying to us that God is not only our creator. God is also our redeemer. And the Sabbath, the Sabbath gathering is a symbol of freedom. Israel was no longer under the rule of the Egyptians. Israel was free from the the Holocaust of Egypt and this treadmill of endless work. And I think it's it's a painful irony. That in another holocaust in history, the sign over the gates of Auschwitz read, work makes you free. Isn't that sad? Work makes you free. You see, the Hebrew idea of remembering involves action. In that word, to remember is the idea of action. And so to remember is to take action. We're given the gift of Sabbath as an active reminder that we are free and we are no longer under the oppressive tyrant called work. So we work hard five days a week. We do our 40 hours or whatever. And then a little voice whispers to us, you could make more money if you worked evenings. Imagine if you moved it up to six days a week. What about seven You could get another sale. And all this seductive voice whispers to us, you know, it's all for your family. And the result is that we have surrendered our freedom to the greed of our culture. And the result is that many of us live in emotional and physical overdrive. The seduction is that we actually think that everything we do and have depends on the amount of work we do. Sometimes pastors think that the growth of the church depends on how hard they will work. They think the harder, the longer they work, the more the church will grow. Actually, the growth of the church depends on the Spirit of God. Students, if you're here this morning, you need to take a Sabbath break once a week. Take your time to rest, come to church, and worship. I worked hard in university. I trained myself actually to work all day and all night and all day. But I didn't work on Sundays. That was my break. Mothers, who often do the lion's share of meal preparation, can I say that you need a Sabbath break also? Here's a risky idea for your house. There could be at least one meal a week that you do not have to do. Could that be your Sabbath break? Where you take time to read, to walk, to enjoy a break? At the very least, you should not have to do the dishes. Richard Foster wrote a number of books some years ago. Richard Foster is a quicker, perhaps much more used to living with spiritual discipline than most of us. Richard Foster in one of his books suggests a radical approach far, far beyond balance. And Richard Foster says, I want you to rank your activities for um, four orders. Number one, I don't know if this is coming up or not. I don't know if it is. Maybe it's not. Number one, he says, absolutely essential. Number two is important, but not always essential. Number three, he says, is helpful but not necessary. And number four, Foster said, is trivial. Okay, got those four? And then he says, here's what you need to do: eliminate three and four completely, cut them out completely, and one and two, cut down at least twenty percent. Cut them down 20%. Now you might say to yourself, that's impossible. What if a doctor told you that you have six months to live? How would that change your lifestyle? We say we can't stop. Frankly and honestly, the truth is that some of us don't want to stop. But what one day if you got a sharp pain in your chest or a numbing of our arm? I used to do 80 hours a week in my 40s. One day, an old doctor sat me down and looked at me straight in the eyes. And he says, Tom, if you do not change your life, you will not see your grandchildren. And can I tell you, that got my attention. He said, you need two days off because of what you do. You need two days off in the work, in your week, back to back. I said, Ron, I can't do that. He said, I don't care. I was once taken into surgery to have my leg amputated, which he didn't do. And I, that was a Thursday, and I said to the surgeon... Um, that won't be possible, because I preach twice on Sunday and I have a wedding on Saturday. The soul surgeon had met people like me before, and he said, "You belong to me now." <laughs> I reorganized my life. I worked five days a week and took two off. I'm still here. We have three children, we have eight grandchildren. The real question is, do we trust God, and are we really free to follow him? God says, you take a day to rest because you are no longer slaves in Egypt. Our daily lives, I believe, would benefit so much if we would only look back into the heart of God and listen to his advice, even in the small details of life. The Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, actually begins on Friday evening. And so on Friday evening, extra food was prepared. Worshipping, God, you see, takes preparation. So what if we began to get ready for worship on Saturday night? Get ourselves ready. The word given by God about the Sabbath was not to bind people. In fact, it was to set them free free from the endless tyranny of work the the drudgery of toil there was a day to be free to enjoy God we come in a few minutes to communion and can I say to you if this past week you've been all stressed out or frankly you've just been way too busy these last few minutes of our service is your time to rest because just as God finished his work and rested and he invites us to walk in his finished garden so Jesus cried out from the cross it is finished and we are called to rest in the finished work of the cross communion is where we come and enjoy the finished work of Christ there's nothing for you to do except take bread and wine and just as God gave people a sign of the covenant and Sabbath. So Jesus calls us to a new covenant. He calls us to share bread and wine as the symbols of the new agreement and through the cross that He made for us. The work of salvation has been completed. It's done. There's no more to do. Come and rest. I've asked Phil Horton in a few minutes just to to lead us into this last moment of our our service. So can I say to you this morning, if you're feeling stressed out from this week, if you just kind of got in the door this morning and you're feeling tired and exhausted, can I invite you to find rest in your soul in these moments of worship as we come to communion, take bread and wine. Come and rest, just rest in the finished work of Christ. It's an old hymn that we don't sing anymore. I can tell you it's decades since I last sung it. But I love what it says to us. It says, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. clothe us in our rightful minds, in pure lives Thy service find in deeper reverence praise. Drop thy still lose of quietness till all our striving cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. Mm-hmm.
0: If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.